right, everyone. So welcome back to Low-Key Radical Podcast. I am your host, Jasmine. Um, unfortunately, my co-host, Shana, couldn't be here with us today, but we do have a special guest, uh, my pastor, Pastor Khalil Rogers, and I will go through, you know, introducing him to you guys, just talk about where we're going with this episode so everyone's clear. Um, so today we will be continuing with our previous conversation about the Black church and its relation to social inequity. To add to the conversation, Pastor Rogers will be with me as my guest. So Pastor Rogers is the senior pastor of Pinal Baptist Church in North Philadelphia. He is the husband of one of my favorite listeners, our first lady. <laughs> and he is the father of two beautiful, bright children. Um, so, Pastor Rogers, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, sis. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Seriously. We want to hear from you. Um, I think your voice is definitely relevant to this conversation today. I appreciate it. Definitely appreciate it. So, let's start with um, the recent news we received about Breonna Taylor. Basically, there will be no charges in relation to her death. Mm-hmm. When you first heard this news, you know, what, how do you feel about that? As a husband, a father, and just a black man in America, not as a pastor, I'm pissed the hell off. Yes. Pissed the hell off. Um, it's upsetting to me. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's also to be expected. This is who America has always been. Um, and quite frankly, this is who she will always be. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, uh, and, and I just thank you for bringing me on this discussion because I feel like um, one of the things that I feel happening within the black community, the black church, black community as a whole, it, it feels like we're stuck in neutral waiting for America to change. Yeah. America's not going to change. They're, they're not going, it's not going to change. So we have to do something different because what we're doing now is clearly not working. Um, you know, we have politicians who don't respect us, um, who pander to us, belittle us, demean us, and, more, and only come around during uh, election cycles. Um, we have police who brutalize us, kill us with, murder us, I should say, with impunity. Um, we have an education system that miseducates us um, and sets our young boys and more recently our young girls up for failure, um, pushing them through the school to prison pipeline. So uh, this is who America is um, mm -hmm. and it, it's not going to change. Uh, so when I heard the news of... Um, Breonna Taylor um, was definitely upset. Um, I'm still angry. Um, I will always be angry, uh, uh, to quote uh, James Baldwin, who said to be, um, and I'm basically paraphrasing him because I could never say it the way he did, but to be um, relatively conscious and Black in America is to be in a rage pretty much all the time. Um, so if you are not angry as a Black person in America, go uh check yourself into the, the, the nearest psychiatric ward because you really need some help. Definitely. Definitely. And my, my first thought was, I'm not surprised 
which is unfortunate, right? I kind of mm -hmm. have some hope that maybe, but I think ever since, you know, this is our history, first of all. This is how America treats us. But what really um, solidified it for me was the Trayvon Martin situation. Where yeah. He wasn't even a police officer. He had no power. Mm -hmm. And he basically got away with murder. So, mm -hmm. I mean, ever since then, I just, I have no faith in our system. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, it's been earlier than the whole Trayvon Martin incident where we, sh we look at situations and we see as Black people, is justice is really not for us. So mm -hmm. thank you for speaking of, speaking on that. Um, it's, it's really been tough trying to really just process it at this point, even though I knew it was coming, you know? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely. It's kind of like a brace for impact, but even though, yes. you know, you brace for impact, it still hurts when that punch, you know, when it, when, when it comes, you know, right. uh, I did a little bit of boxing and, you know, train how to take a punch. But quite frankly, even when you see the punch coming and you know how to brace for it, mm -hmm. it still sting when it hit. Um, so, you know, um, so absolutely, um, I'm upset about this. I'm enraged uh, about this. And, um, you know, just as a black man, I mean, I, I think of what Malcolm X said, uh, the most disrespected and uh, the, the most the the one the, the the person who is the 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 most disrespected and least protected um in America is the black woman mm -hmm. and i feel like that's an indict an indictment personally as a black man who god has called to protect right. our queens um and it's at a point now where i'm like listen here like you're not just going to be able to continue to harm our people with mm -hmm. impunity like that's that we, we cannot just sit by and let that ride, like right. at all. And, and I'm talking about whether the enemy is foreign or domestic. Like, you're not just gonna sit, we're not just gonna sit by quietly and continue to allow black women and children um, and the elderly to just be abused and gunned down and choked right. out on camera. Like, it's not gonna go down like that. So. Yeah. Um, I'm at a point right now where I feel uh, I've definitely always leaned more uh, to Malcolm than, than Martin, and I love them both. Uh, yeah. But at this point, it's by any means necessary. Like, exactly. seriously. Exactly. Um, because it's, they're, they're, they're not going to let up. They're not no. going to let up. So, I mean, that leads us right into the focus of our conversation. There's a lot mm -hmm. of criticism, and I try not to indulge because people think what they want to think. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of criticism regarding the black church. And yes. where are they surrounding this fight? Can you speak a little bit about that? Well, a lot of it about that, <laughs> the history um, and, you know, our current presence. Yes, absolutely. So what I will say um, from the black church, not from a doctrinal standpoint, but more so from um, a positional standpoint of, you know, social justice the black church historically was birthed out of oppression. It was birthed out of protest. It was birthed out of revolution. Um, when, when you think of, you know, Absalom Jones and Richard Allen and, you know, names like Nat Turner and Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, uh, Dr. King, Denmark Vesey, Gabriel Prosser. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Fannie Lou Hammer. Um, these are the people that Dr. King uh, called that were a part of the Fresh Bread Church or the Liberating Church. Um, 
historically, the black church is the only institution in America that has survived centuries of racism and white savagery. No other black owned institution um, has that record that the black church has. Uh, if you look at our history, uh, pretty much every, every form of black art, expression, music from jazz, the R&B, rock and roll, gospel, Dixieland, um, things that pretty much drove American culture were birthed out of the black church. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at um, most of our black owned business ideas, HBCUs, schools, hospitals, um, the Tuskegee University, um, black banks and, and credit unions. We rave about the black Wall Street and Tulsa and, and Wilmington, North Carolina, but few people ever talk about the, the people who were behind that, they were black church people. These were black Christians who were building these, um, these cities and these towns without any help from the government. I mean, these were self-reliant, 100% um, independent black communities built by black people in the, the 1920s, mm -hmm. 19, 1911, 1918, um, and were thriving and, and had begun to undermine what our ancestors had went through on those cotton fields, okay? Um, and so we know how that, how that history ended. Um, but also even outside, of, um, outside of, of helping to end slavery, look at all of your, your slave abolitionists. Um, you know, I just named many of them. Many of them were Christian, okay? Um, many of them were black Christian who, who were on the front lines to end slavery, Jim Crow segregation, um, black codes, you know, uh, anti-lynching legislation, voting rights for African-Americans, um, end of Jim Crow, you name it. We have always been on the forefront. No, no other faith system, no other institution has the track record of the black church. Now right. that's the history, okay? And, and, and to deny that is just to be you know, you're just not being honest. They, they call that revisionist history, right? You just go and take all that out. Yeah. Um, you know, however, when I look at where we are now, today, that torch is still lit for the black church, but it's not, it's not as hot as it once was. Mm -hmm. um, but we're coming back, okay? We're, we're coming back. Um, and so, you know, in, in some of the ways that I see us doing that right now, um, you know, being an advocate for those without a voice, um, there are some churches that are starting uh, Black-owned credit unions and banks, um, quiet as kept, uh, to basically, um, so that their people don't continue to get ripped off by these major banks that are financing the gentrification movement or ethnic cleansing movement in black and brown communities, um, you know, preparing men and men to be husbands and fathers, preparing women to be wives and mothers, um, you know, that, that's all about nation building. So the black church is on the forefront of that still. Um, we're still running voter registration clinics, um, mm -hmm. expungement clinics, know your right seminars, credit repair, financial um, freedom exercises, counseling folk for free, feeding people, clothing people, helping house the homeless. I mean, you name it, mentoring young people, investing in schools 
investing in healthcare right here in our city, in the city of Philadelphia. There are a number of churches that serve as sites for free COVID-19 testing uh, for the community. Helping folks start their businesses, preparing them for careers, tutoring and, and, and feeding folks, uh, providing emergency housing, not to mention preaching and teaching the word in and out, out of season. So the church is still there. Yeah. Um, we're, we're still doing what we, we're, we're, some of us are still doing what we're supposed to do. The problem is, is that, um, and this is where I do agree with the critics a little bit. Mm -hmm. The problem is we have a little bit of churches or too few churches doing a whole lot. We don't need a little bit of people doing a whole lot. Yeah. We need a lot of people doing a little, mm -hmm. right? So we need every church. We need a whole lot of churches, more churches, more folks to get involved. Uh, there's an African proverb that says, many hands make light work, right? Um, right? So that nobody is burnt out. I mean, if you look at the city of Philadelphia, I can't speak for any other city, um, but pretty much everywhere you go in the hood, there's a church just about every other block. Sometimes my wife and I, we, we, uh, we were driving, driving to church one day right in North Philly. And no lie, we counted the number of churches we saw once we got to North Philly. And on one block, can't remember where it was, there was literally three churches on one block. Three churches on one block. <laughs> right true. across the street from the liquor store, mm -hmm. right across the street from uh, uh, the poppy store that's selling pretty much poison to our people, the Chinese store. Yet you have all these churches, but a whole bunch of crime, human sex trafficking, police brutality, violence in our communities, a drug epidemic and pandemic. Mm -hmm. But yet all these churches, what are we doing? And so again, I understand some of the critics. I'm right. not gonna say I agree with them 100% mm -hmm. uh, because it's never every church. All these churches, all these preachers, all, they, all the preachers want is money. Uh, if that was the case, uh, most pastors, most black pastors would not have to work uh, multiple jobs outside of their church if, if, right. if they was getting all this money, right? Stop comparing, you know, uh, most black pastors to T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar. Them dudes is unicorns. They unicorns. So, you know. Yeah. So what, I guess, you know, along with the criticisms, there are accusations that black Christians are still like in bondage. They follow a religion. Mm -hmm. what, what would you say to that? You know, with all the work you explained that the church is doing in the black communities, you're right. I mean, I'm, we're basically, we were the foundation mm -hmm. for black communities. We still continue mm -hmm. to be so. I mean, even, right. you know, visiting prisons, like we're in the streets. Black churches are in the streets. There's no doubt about that. Always. Right. So people, I think they really disregard that because of what Christianity entails, like the historical background of Christianity, of what they know, the history mm -hmm. of, of being a white man religion and then related. Mm -hmm. So I would say, I would say one of the things I've had this conversation, it feels like all my life. Mm -hmm. uh, growing up on 52nd Street, which is like a mini Mecca. Anybody that know 52nd and Market, yeah. 52nd and Chestnut, that's my set. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Muslims run that. Um, and I don't have, have any issue with, with Muslims. Uh, for You know this jazz, but your, your listeners may not. My right. father's Muslim. My brother's Muslim. 
my youngest sister is Muslim. I, you know, I see my brothers on the street, Muslim brothers. I salam. Salaikum. Like salam. I got no problem with them. Mm -hmm. um, however, I think the history needs to be correct. Um, it, it's it, to say that Christianity is the white man's religion basically is a low key way of saying you believe the white man is superior to you. You, you, you believe the lie that white folk created everything and black folk was just sitting in Africa waiting for white folk to come save them as if black folk did not have their own thriving kingdoms, many of which were Christian. Uh, if you look at some of the earliest churches, the, the, the first, in fact, the oldest Christian nation on the planet is not in Israel. It's not Rome. It's Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. That's black Africa. Okay. Um, you know, long before uh, Christianity was in Rome, long before it was on, you know, so-called Christianity, I should say, in America on the cotton fields. Um, so, yes, it's it's true that Christianity has been perverted into a mechanism. It's been perverted into a mechanism of um, of tyranny and white imperialism and white colonialism. But we cannot deny the history that Christianity was thriving, booming in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, long before it went to Europe and long before it came to America long before anybody even came up with the idea of being called a white man. Mm. So um, that, that's what I would say uh, to these people, uh, to, I shouldn't say these people, but say to the critics um, of Christianity who believe that Christianity is the white man's religion. Uh, a question that I would also ask them is, for those of you who believe that, where are you getting your information from? Where are you getting your information? Uh, because YouTube and Google or a meme on social media is not research. That, that's not scholarship, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. So just because something sounds good or something feels good or, or, or tickles you in a certain way, don't just share that thing. You got to fact check this stuff. And so I believe that a lot of the talk is a result of an inferiority complex um, with black people, uh, young, younger black people, I should say. Also, a lack of historical context as well as a cultural identity. One of the things that has happened to our people, and, and you see this when you study world history, any, op any oppressed group of people, but nobody has been through it like African-Americans, nobody. Um, or Africans who went through the slave trade, I should say, not just here in the Americas, but, or, or in the United States. One of the things that happens with oppressed gr groups of people is their ancestral memory and his history is wiped away. Okay, so they have no knowledge of self. That's how you build a slave. All right. So just, just think with me here. So they teach us in school that the first slave ships came into the United States, 1619, right, in Jamestown, Virginia. However, there were slave ships before then. In 1555, you had, had slave ships that were bringing Africans here. All right. So why do they leave out that 64-year history? Well, because it took that amount of time because the African was brought here. Slaves were not brought here. Scientists were brought here. Mathematicians were brought here. Village leaders, tribal leaders, husbands, wives, um, educators were brought here. And they were made slaves. And it took six decades to strip them from their African identity, to turn them into 
what you see today, uh, the, the, the so-called nigga, for lack of a better term. That, that's, nigga is their creation, all right? Um, and so we just don't know our history. And so I would, I would challenge our people, uh, Christian or not, to learn your history. If you believe that Christianity is the white man's religion, I would challenge you to do what your ancestors were not allowed to do. Read. Read the Bible, which takes place primarily where? On the continent of Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. Most of those folks in the Bible look like me and you. All mm -hmm. right? Um, in fact, Egypt and Ethiopia um, and Cush are mentioned more times in the Bible than Israel is. More times than any other place in the Bible, it mentions Egypt and Ethiopia. So all that is white Jesus, that's, that's nonsense, all right? Um, so read, read, read your history, read the Bible. Um, well, it was a white man's book. Not one of those writers, not one of those writers uh, outside of maybe Luke was a white man. Every, there are, there are, at least 40 writers of, of the biblical narrative. And all of them outside of one were men of color. Yeah. What? The white man's book. No, read. <laughs> read, the early, read about the early church fathers, uh, many of whom were African, who codified um, uh, all of the core Christian doctrines of the church that, that believers, black and white or Asian or Latino, believe today. Read about Augustine, who's, who's the father of Western theology. He was a black man, he was an African. Read about um, uh, Athanasius, the, the black dwarf. You would not have a canonized New Testament. Those 27 books in the New Testament, he was one of the leading people to help, to help push that process through. Read about Bishop Alexander of Alexandria, which is in Egypt. Read about Tertullian. Um, read these people, the people who came up with the doctrine of the Trinity. These were African people. Read Dr. Um, Marvin McMickle's book, An Encyclopedia of African-American Christian Heritage. Read everything that Dr. Howard Thurman uh, wrote, Jesus and the Dis Disinherited. Dr. James H. Cone, um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, A Black Theology of Liberation. Um, I just got a, a, a banging book. I, I encourage everybody to get it. A good brother of mine, um, Pastor Isaiah Robinson, The Black Church Empowered. Read that book, Reverend Albert Cleve's work, The Black Messiah and Black Christian Nationalism, A Multitude of All Peoples. Do what your ancestors were not allowed to do. Yes. Read How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, Dr. Thomas C. Oden, an Ethiopian reading of the Bible, uh, Keon Sang Ann. Read. Stop listening to these so-called street scholars on YouTube or a meme on social media. I call it memeology. <laughs> you graduated from the University of, of Meme. You studied memeology and you graduated from uh, Facebook University. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, thank you for the education. Like you said, the history, looking into that, that's the most important piece right there because I think a lot of people have discrepancies because of what you said, the memeology, looking at Google, and just mm -hmm. word of mouth. So that's definitely needed to look back into that history. Absolutely. Coming to present day, why are you Christian today in present day? That's a very good question. And, I, you know, basically, there's a, I'll give you two, two reasons. Okay. The first reason uh, 
<laughs> people may not like it. But and when I say people, church people, but whatever. I'm a Christian because it works. I'm a Christian because it works. If it did not work, I wouldn't be a Christian. All right. And when I say I'm a Christian because it works, that's not something that I came up with. I, I, I got that from someone else from a men's retreat. A brother said that. Uh, Pastor Anthony Trufront out of Brooklyn, New York, I believe. And I was like, wow, like it hit the nail on the head. What do I mean by that? It means that when I gave my life to Christ, all right, at my cousin's funeral, who was murdered when, when I was 15, 16 years old, he was 16, I was 15, going to 16, um, gunned down in the street. I gave my life to Christ at the church that I grew up in, at his funeral, right? Um, when I read the scripture, when I study the Bible, and I follow the blueprint that is clearly laid out for me in scripture, because it's not hard to understand. The, the, the issue with the Bible is, it's not that we don't understand it, we just don't want to do it, okay? Mm -hmm. We understand it. We know how to read for comprehension. We just don't want to do it. Yeah, love your enemies. What does that mean? Well, we know what it means. We just don't want to do it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when I do what God says do, and I follow the blueprint for my life, his will and his plan and his purpose for my life. Things always work out for my good. They may not always feel good, but they always work out for my good. So that's my that's the most important answer is that me, I am a Christian because it works. But secondly, I'm also a Christian because it is an intelligent faith system. Mm -hmm. um, it is a reasonable faith. Uh, one of the things that I tell, um, and you've probably even heard me say this in my sermons, this whole idea of blind faith. We don't have a blind faith. We have a faith that has excellent sight. We have a faith that has been backed by history. We got receipts, okay? And so we have more proof today that Jesus Christ existed historically more than any other person from that era. There is not one New Testament scholar, not one New Testament scholar who holds a degree in a field of study who would disagree with the fact that Jesus existed historically. We got receipts from historians from, from, and from scholars from that era, Tacticus, Josephus, uh, Pliny the Younger, uh, a Syrian uh, philosopher from that era, uh, Marabar Serapian, I believe his name is, um, the Talmud, not to mention at least 50 people mentioned in scripture, we have archaeological evidence for them. And that's just up to the year, what, 400 BC, I believe, and they're still making discoveries today. So Christianity has more receipts than any other faith system, bar none, and to deny that is just revisionist history. Now, you can choose not to believe. Mm -hmm. That's fine. That, that, is, that is perfectly your right. Okay, or your choice, I should say, um, because that scripture says that only the father who sent the son draws men and women to believe. So nothing that I'm saying is going to convince anybody to believe. Only God can do that. Only Christ can do that. However, to deny the history is just that just makes you an idiot. Right. Because it's right there for you. Um, so as a black man, I, you know, I asked myself, as I said a little earlier, what faith system was on the front lines fighting to liberate my ancestors. Mm. What faith system was on the front lines fighting to end Jim Crow segregation? Mm. Christianity. <laughs> we, 
We've always, it's always been on the forefront, particularly the, the, the history of the black church here in the Americas, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and, and people can say whatever they want to say about the black church, but without it, we die. Yeah. Without it, we die. Because guess what? We love you anyway. People mm -hmm. disagree with us and, you know, oh, you studied the white man's religion. It's okay. When, when If your house catch on fire, it's going to be the church that's gathering, getting money together. And, and, and church folks are going to be getting clothes together and trying to find a place for you to, uh, to, to find somewhere to go. It ain't going to be nobody else. Nope. You can pray to your ancestors all you want. They're not going to help you either. So. Yes. And that, I mean, that leads us into the next question, right? Of politics mm -hmm. and its effect on a black church. You know, when things happen in the black community, the black church is there for the most part. But, you know, because of how politics politics are today, especially with Trump in office, it's mm -hmm. a lot of um, noise right now surrounding politics, you know, vote for mm -hmm. the person, um, which, which is a good thing. These conversations, yeah. yeah, people need to be looking more into politics. But how mm -hmm. do you think that American politics affect the black church? Um, I think politics affects everything. Mm -hmm. um, which is why you will never ever hear me uh, state or say I'm not voting. Right. Um, I vote in every election. Um, not that I see any of these politicians as a savior or anything. Mm -hmm. However, politics affects everything we do. I mean, even the quality of air you breathe. Right. <laughs> it's that legislated. Is right. Um, and so, yeah. And so I'm like, why would I, you know, Voting, teaching people how to engage in a political process. I believe that the black church has always been on the forefront of that. I mean, when you think of um, the 16th Street Baptist Church uh, in Birmingham, where, where the, the four little girls were killed uh, back in the 60s uh, in the Birmingham church. Why was that church firebomb? Why that church? That church was spe was specifically targeted, not only because they were black and it was white supremacist KKK to hate black people, absolutely. But that church was a church that was all about helping black folks get registered to vote and knowing their rights and, and all of that stuff. It, it, was, it was basically a political driving force in that community, yeah. all right? And so the KKK, which is a white supremacist organization and you know uh, a, a political movement, if you will, they was like, listen, we, we, got to, we got to firebomb that church. There, there's a reason why they burn black churches in the South. It, it wasn't by accident. You ain't never hear about the KKK, or at least, at least you can't find many scenarios of them burning mosques or, mm -hmm. or, or firebombing uh, you know, Jewish synagogues and things like that. And they hate the Jews. Yeah. But the black church, they was always lynching black Christians and always firebombing black churches. Why? Because the black church was educating people on what their rights were. They were, they were moving the needle forward. Um, so I do believe that politics affects us. Um, I would also say from a political standpoint, um, it's not only voting that matters. Mm -hmm. Voting is a tool. It is a weapon in politics. It is not the only weapon. All right. And when war is being waged against your people, you need to use every weapon that's that's at your disposal. Voting is one of them. All right. However, one of the things that we don't talk about 
a lot of because you can vote, but if you don't have um, any knowledge of who you're voting for, you can put the wrong people in office, right? Now, this election, you know, Trump versus Biden, that, that should be relatively easy. Like, at this point, if, if you don't know which way you're going or not at all, like, then that... That's fine. Like I don't, I don't, I don't get in those conversations or whatever. Um, uh, and and neither one of them are a savior to me, uh, quite mm -hmm. frankly. And I have issues, but I know what I'm doing come election day. All right. But that's not the only thing. One of the things that we don't talk about a lot of is financing political campaigns, mm -hmm. building our own political party. I've always said. Now it's too late. For, for that now, like Perfect. for this election, all right? It is what it is. Uh, but long-term, Black people really need to assess uh, and analyze their allegiance to the Democratic Party, all right? Um, I think that we should come out of both parties and build our own. You mean to tell me that Black Americans have, what, uh, an annual spending power of $1.2 trillion? 45 million African-Americans, over a trillion dollars that we spend annually, and you have over, what, eight to 10,000 politicians, and you ain't got your own party? Yeah. That, that makes no sense to me. Like, <laughs> Democrat, Republican, look, I, I, my, when, when people ask me which one I am, I'm neither one, because right. my people don't own either one. We don't have any control over either party. Yeah, all right? we, we do have the birthday party, right? The, the birthday party? Kanye West. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God bless him. God bless my brother Kanye. I'm praying, I'm praying for that brother. They, that brother, man. Oh, my God. Every time I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm with you here. He, he just does something crazy. I, you know, Kanye. Brother ain't been right since his mom passed away. God, God bless him. He, our brother is going through something. But um, I'm, I'm right. definitely praying for him. Um, but, yeah, we need to build our own party. Like I said, mm -hmm. for this election, y'all need to do, black folk need to do what we're supposed to do. Yeah. All right? We need to do what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, I don't care if you got to, you know, hold your nose and, well, I ain't feeling by it and I don't like him. All right, he ain't coming to your house for a cookout. He ain't coming <laughs> for a burger. You ain't hanging out with him. Right. All right? Um, so we can't afford to have any permanent enemies or 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 um, or permanent friends, quite frankly, when it comes to politics. Only permanent interests. All right. And I feel like with black folks, the political conundrum that we're in is that um, the Democrats will offer us very little because they know we're going to vote for them anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because we have an allegiance to them uh, since, you know, 1964 because of the, 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 the Civil Rights and, and, and Voting Rights Act. Thank you, LBJ. Um, but the Republicans won't offer us anything either because they know you ain't going to vote for them either, yeah, regardless if they offer something. So what does that leave us with? Yeah. That leaves us with getting a very little from the Democrats, scraps basically, and nothing but overt racism from the Republicans. So my thing is, you know, I look at both and I'm like, ah, we need to pull out and we need to rethink this thing. Mm -hmm. Again, that's after this election. This election coming November, take your black behind to the poll and vote. Stop playing. You know what you need to do. Stop playing. Um, but I, I feel like we need to finance campaigns. I, I you know, um, one of the things that you have to ask yourself when people say, well, we got to hold our 
elected officials accountable. Well, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Is that vetting on social media? Um, is it writing newspaper editors? Is it um, being a voice online, uh, online, you know, calling up the legislator and the senators? Or is it cutting a check? Because quite frankly, I can't hold you accountable if I ain't paying you. Right. So the way it kind of works with other groups, they throw money on the table, right? A lot of black folk get upset. Not a lot, but some are, are, are still angry at President Obama, okay? Uh, because he didn't do enough uh, for black people, particularly at, when it came to police brutality um, and, and, you know, mass incarceration and things like that. One of the questions that I ask these people is, okay, how much money did black folk donate to Barack Obama's campaign? He did for all these other groups. He did for the LGBT community. Well, yeah, they gave him a lot of money. He did for the Latinos. Yeah, they gave him $30 million. What, what did we get? What was our, and what was our ask? Right. Other than him to be black. We was just so happy to, my president is black. My, that, we was just happy with that. You ain't asking him or nothing. Nothing. So you, you got you to gotta put politicians and politics are governed by economics. It's, it's governed and controlled by money. Right. Okay. Um, so nobody's going to do anything for you out of goodwill. You know, vote for me and I'm going to do for you. That's not how politics work. Okay. <laughs> you have to come to these people with an agenda that you create. Mm -hmm. Everybody talking about what's the black agenda. Did you got to put one together? Okay. Right. Don't wait for some white politician or, or a black one to put one together for you. The p people of that community, the people who are voting for that person, that base should be putting that, that, that um that agenda together and coming with a check and saying listen you either support this agenda with this or, or and, and we're gonna give you this check and if not we go on, we, we shopping somewhere else yeah. it's that simple you will not have a job come election day you will not get the black vote come election day have you given any thought to what should be on the black agenda um i have actually um one of the one of the things that uh, I do believe that there should be a black agenda, and the people say, "Well, well, don't." Uh, what's the saying that the Democrats say? Rising tides lift all boats, and that that nonsense. Don't 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 say that to me. Okay, that, that's kind of insulting my intelligence. I do believe that we need a black agenda, and the reason I say that is because um, black people have a unique history in America. We have a unique history in the world, okay? Um, for one, we are the only group of people in America that were brought here in chains yeah. and forced to build a nation that never loved us or supported us. Well, the Asians was mistreated, the Latinos and all these other groups, yeah, but they came willingly. Mm -hmm. And if America gets tired of them, they can send them back. Where are they gonna send us at? Right. They don't even know where y'all took us from. <laughs> Right. Um, so we are the only group of people who have more right to be here than the folks who brought us here. Mm. So they don't know what to do with us. Uh, uh, right. So that's number one. Number two, we're the only group of people where the laws and policies were passed that stated that we were not human. We were three fifths of a man. Right. All right. So we were dehumanized by law. No other group of people has that history. We're the only group of people who they made it illegal for us to read and write. And in fact, if you were a white person, you know, with a liberal soft heart and you wanted to 
teach a black person how to read, you can go to jail for that. All right. Yeah. Um, and lastly, we're the only group of people where pretty much every developed nation on the planet benefited from our oppression and did very little or nothing about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a group of people with that unique of an experience is owed a unique specific agenda that they create and hold those in power uh, accountable to see that agenda through. What does that look like? Um, I've seen many great examples um, of what uh, a black agenda would look like. Um, so these are not my own ideas. Um, mm -hmm. I, I read about them. Uh, Dr. Claude Anderson is one of my favorites. Uh, in fact, every black person needs to know who Dr. Claude Anderson is. If you're an African-American and, and you don't have powernomics, black labor, white wealth on your shelf, ASAP. You're behind. Get caught up ASAP. Okay. Uh, he has by far the be the best blueprint for Black America that I've seen to date. Yeah. Um, but what does it look like? Number one, reparations. Talk about it. For Black Americans who are descendants of slaves. Reparations. Yeah. We need that. Why? Jews got reparations and, and their Holocaust didn't even happen here. It was horrible, it was bad, and they deserve reparations. But that didn't take place on American soil. And these folks got reparations. Japanese got reparations. Native Americans got some form of reparation and land. It's our turn. And so I feel like Dr. King, when he said, and when we come to Washington, we, we come and they get our check. Yes. And, and that's what ultimately got him killed, right? Uh, so that's number one. But um, a second thing, uh, I, I seen something that was very um, uh, good online. Uh, there's a film producer, Jason Black, um, a brother who uh, talks a lot about black issues and, and, and things like that. He has a, um, a couple films out, one called 7 a.m. Wake Up. Very, very good film uh, for black, black folk. Um, and another one is uh, Gentrified. Um, well, he had wrote out on his page an agenda for black Americans to present to politicians. And I'm just going to run through um, a couple of them. Uh, mm -hmm. But basically it was all about black opportunity and representation within every uh, landscape, political landscape of America. So uh, the first thing he meant, he talked about was massive bank lending and finance reform. Okay. Um, now, what does that mean? Right now, currently, Black folk are about, and when I say black folk, I'm talking about specifically African-Americans, okay, mm -hmm. are 13.4% of the U.S. population. However, <clears throat> in terms of banking, loans and credit, um, loans for our business, um, you know, credit and everything else, we only account for 3% of those. So there needs to be some type of push and legislation from the government that demands that major banks uh, make sure that they are fair in their lending practices. So if black folk are 13.5%, 13.4% of the population, they should have 13.5% of all of the loans, all of the credit, uh, mortgage uh, financing for their businesses, you name it. And that numbers should increase as the black population increases. That's number one. A second thing that he mentions that I thought this was huge because few people talk about this is addition, additional finance reform. Um, 
venture capitalists and private equity funds that take money from police unions, which we need to get rid of, by the way. Um, these private equity funds, they take money from these police unions or other public entities where black folk pay taxes into, they must invest 13.4% of their total funds into black owned businesses. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at data in Exios, I believe uh, is, is, is the website, uh, Exios, the name of the company, I'm sorry. 1% um, of uh, venture capitalist back uh, founders were black between 2013 to 2018. So th that's a problem. Yeah. Um, we also need judicial and public policy reform. We gotta recognize racism as a public health crisis. All right. All this stuff that's going on in these streets, the violence and all that stuff is a result of racism. Yeah. Even the so-called uh, black on black violence, black on black crime, which which doesn't exist, by the way, because nobody ever talks about white on white crime and white folk kill each other at 85 percent too. 85 percent of whites are killed by other whites. But you never hear anybody say white on white crime. It's, 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 it's crime. OK. Um, but we got to recognize racism as a public health crisis that mandates a federal response. Ban all, all privately run prisons. There should be not one privately ran prison in America, right. in the so-called land of the free, home of the brave. Um, establish fines to be paid by companies who profited off of private prison uh, labor. Prison labor should not be allowed without the consent of the prisoner. Um, and this is where the liberal in me is coming out. Prisoners should be compensated at minimum wage and given hazardous pay, just like everybody else. And the KKK, the Proud Boys, neo-Nazis, Bugaloo, and the alt-right, and all these other groups, these white supremacist groups, should be labeled as terrorist organizations, and they should be treated like terrorists, okay? <laughs> also, uh, defund the police. Not abolish, because you need the police. But defund them. And it's time to end qualified immunity today. Today. Uh, and, and if if we if we still walk, if anybody don't understand that now, any black per, any black person, because I couldn't care less what anybody else thinks. All right. My God has called me to minister to my folk. My tears are for black people. All right. I love everybody, but I have a special love for my folk. All right. And I make no bones about that. If any black person alive today still believes that we should shouldn't end qualified immunity. I need to talk to them. I need to talk to them. Um, we also need a um, relook, reexamine the Constitution. You know, the Thirteenth Amendment. Thirteenth uh, Amendment doesn't say that slavery is abolished. It says that slavery is abolished unless, right? They put that little clause in there. You, yeah. you get, you know, sent to prison. You get convicted of a crime. Well, no, slavery should be abolished. Any form of slavery should be illegal and abolished immediately and punished harshly under the law. All right. I also believe, and, 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 and this is something that, you know, it may be a little bit radical, but I believe you need entertainment industry reform and reparations. All right. Uh, I can't remember who it was that said God created black people, but black people created style. All right. We, we, we move culture. All right. Everybody want, okay. everybody want our rhythm, but nobody want our blues. Right. So, uh, so you need mandatory funding of black owned studios 
by the largest Hollywood studios, record companies and television studios, networks to compensate for years of support from black people and stereotyping and damage to black culture. Mm -hmm. All of them should be uh, required to fund a yearly amount. Black folks should produce their own content right. by black creators and should be ran by black leadership. That's why I love Tyler Perry. I'm not a fan of the Medea and his movies necessarily, yeah. but I love Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry said the hell with being a star in some white man's show or waiting for somebody to throw me a bone to be a star and they move me. I'm going to be my own star. I'm going to write them. I'm going to make the movie, produce the movie, write the movie and be a star in the movie movie. So when you see Tyler Perry stuff, everything Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry Studios, Tyler Perry did the writing, Tyler Perry did the directing, Tyler Perry was the star, Tyler Perry was the supporting actor. He's all over the board. Tyler Perry said, I ain't waiting for nobody else to give me a seat at their table. I'm going to build my own table. All of us need to be thinking like that. We all need to be thinking like that. And, and I say that because it's important in order for a race to survive, and you, you, you find this out in world history, in order for a race of people to survive, it needs its own people to create art mm -hmm. and expression that reflects their views on the world, all right? The reason why black folk is so messed up now, I told you before, is because our African identity has been stripped from us. Yeah. We act just like the people who enslaved us. That's why we got this, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just about me. I'm off of self. You know, I'm, I'm getting this chicken. I'm doing me. That, that, that don't come from Africa. Our ancestor says it takes a village to raise a child. All right. We have always been a communal people. We've always been a tribal people. But that African identity has been stripped from us. Now it's not lost. We just need to pick it back up. All right. Um, and, and, and lastly, I'll say in terms of a black agenda, you got to ban all Confederate and overtly racist statues and monuments from public spaces. Put them in a museum. I ain't saying destroy them because it is history. It's a horrible history, but it's history. But do what Germany did. One of the things that Germany did uh, after the Holocaust said that they would never repeat it again. You go to Germany today, you won't find, you can't tell me where Adolf Hitler died. You won't find one statue of that man. But what they will do, you, you can't even fly a, uh, the swastika, a Nazi flag. Try that in Germany. You won't get stomped out and you won't go to jail, all right? But what you do see are Holocaust memorials, mm. all right, from the Holocaust uh, victims. They, I mean, they, that stuff is, is, is booming like light over there in their society. Right. America has never done that. We, <laughs> we, said we, we said we got rid of slavery. We really didn't. It's the slavery by a different name. We said we got rid of slavery, but you kept all of the racist symbols from the Confederate flag, um, you know, you, you got all to, to all of the Confederate monuments and, you know, Robert E. Lee and all these statues and Christopher Columbus. And you got all of these racist, overtly racist and stuff that we know is wrong. And we still got it in public squares. We named schools after these psychopathic rapists and murderers. They're murderers. They're rapists. No, all them schools need to be renamed. All them statues need to be taken down. They should not be idolized or, you know, or memorialized in any way. Put them in a museum. But they should be banned and it should be illegal. Banned from all public squares. Period. Yeah. Listen, our conversation, I hate that it's coming to an end. But I do have one final question for you. 
Absolutely. The education also. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your knowledge, for your wisdom. I definitely appreciate it. I appreciate you, sis. <laughs> so for people that are really struggling, right, with the pandemic, with yes. mentality, oppression in general, mm-hmm. I'd be wondering, like, you know, how can they come to Christ? How can they be disciples? How can they be saved? Churches are closed right now. A lot of things are going on virtually. But mm-hmm. what would you say to that person that's going through that right now? Oh, that's a very great question. Um, pray. It's, it's as simple as ABC. God will meet you on your street. One of the things about the Christian faith that is that appealed to me, and I've studied pretty much every major faith uh, from, from Islam um, to Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, and even uh, some of your more ancient African uh, traditions, Kemetic, you know, uh, science, the Yoruba tradition, and all these different things. One of the things that appeals to me um, with Christianity it's not about what we do for God. That's what, all, that's what religion is. Religion is what we do for God. Christianity is not that. Christianity is what God has done for us through his son. And so it's as simple as praying. Um, ABC, ask, believe, and confess. Ask Christ to come into your heart and save you. Ask Christ to come into your heart and save you. Believe that he is the son of God. And that he did suffer, bleed, and die, but rise again on the third day so that you might be saved and have a right to the kingdom of God, that you may have a right to the tree of life. And lastly, see, confess your sins to him and you will be forgiven. Uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it does not matter what you are who you are. It does not matter what you've done. Oh, but I murdered somebody. So what? So did Moses. God can forgive you. I was an adulterer. So was David. And he was a man after God's own heart. Well, you know, I I persecuted the church. So did the apostle Paul. And he wrote at least 13 or 14 letters um, in the New Testament. Half of the New Testament, most of the New Testament is written by a man who used to kill and persecute Christians. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Uh, If you give your heart to Jesus Christ, um, he will come into your heart and he will save you. Um, and, you know, it's not something that you have to wait until you, till you die to receive heaven or anything like that. No, Christ will make a real impact in your life today, right now, um, and give you a purpose, give you a mission so that you will know what you need to do uh, for his kingdom. So ABC, ask, believe, confess. Yes. All right. So you heard it, folks, firsthand from my pastor. Pastor Khalil Rogers. Again, thank you so much for coming to Loki Radical Podcast and being our guest. We appreciate you. And also, everyone, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Loki Radical Podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Loki Radical Podcast. And anywhere that you can hear podcasts, but let it be Spotify, Apple, anywhere that you can hear it, Spotify, um, anywhere that you can hear podcasts, definitely follow us at Loki Radical Podcast. All right. Again, Pastor Rogers, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you, my sister. I appreciate it. You be well. You and your family. God bless you. God bless you as well. Bye-bye.